Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption and logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio, with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms, and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to your post-match Raw on AI Pro, podcasting to you from my lovely sunny field here in beautiful rural Ireland. I'm Trev Downey, and I'm joined by Dave Hendrick and Mo Chatra, who are about to give me their immediate takes on Liverpool 4 Southampton 4 in the Premier League final game of the season from St. Mary's. You'll just uh, forgive me for one second, I have some business here. That is the sound of a strong can of Polish beer being opened so that we can celebrate the end, Dave Hendrick, of a shit season. Yeah, yeah, the end of an absolutely disgraceful season. A season of unmitigated failure. A season of underperformance, a season of excuses, a season of bullshit. A season before which we were told Liverpool will be bang in the mix for all the major honours. A season in which we were told, well, Liverpool have no glaring gaps to fill. What do you mean we need a midfielder? Liverpool are perfect. We almost won the lot last season. And the more this season has gone on, Trev, the more that... We almost won the lot last season. Line has begun to grate at me. Because if this was the era of Bob Paisley, if this was the era of Bill Shankly, if this was even the first era of Kenny Dogleash at Liverpool, more recently, if this was the era of Alex Ferguson at United, if this was any era for Real Madrid and any era for Bayern Munich, they would look at last season as an unmitigated failure. 
because we didn't win the league and we didn't win the European Cup. Now, I don't believe last season to be a failure, but it certainly wasn't this all-encompassing success that people have made it out to be because we didn't win the major honours. What we did do, though, was we sat and rested on our laurels and we believed that through some magic voodoo, it would all just repeat itself and sure everything would be grand. And from the first game of this season, all the way through till the last, Liverpool have been shit. And I don't care that they ran off and won seven games in a row, beating a bunch of bad teams. I don't care. I care about the season on a whole. And what we know about this season is that by the end of January, we had zero chance of winning the Premier League. By the end of April, sorry, by mid-April, we had no chance of winning, of getting top four. Yeah, yeah. And let me cut in here, Dave, because we do need to qualify this. And Mo, I know you're champing at the bit. uh, I'm coming to you in a sec. The... Let's contextualize this a little bit because these things get forgotten, um, as is commonly the case with anything that is relatively important when it comes to facts and figures in the world. We began this season with our manager, quite frankly, gaslighting fans who were saying we needed midfield support whilst being indulged by several um, fawning uh, interviewers uh, who who are, are, are delightfully uh, cackling at, at, at the manager's um, 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 smugness. And honestly, that's the low point for me. And most of the low points have had a Jurgen connection. You know, we have lauded that man to the sky, and I hope we continue to do so next year. I hope that's this is a, a weird speed wobble. But one of the other things that would have been very common in those eras you were talking about the, with the previous years of this club and other clubs would be if things had fallen off the cliff to the extent that they have for us this season, where it seemed to be a little bit rudderless, if we're being perfectly honest, yeah, the manager's job would have been changed, certainly in any of those foreign clubs. Oh, you know? undoubtedly. I mean, Bayern Munich won the league title yesterday and within 15 minutes of the final whistle oh, the axe. had sacked their CEO and their director of football. Mm. They were top of the league mid-season. They sacked their manager because they weren't top of the league convincingly enough. Do you know, like, I, I understand some people don't want us to be that type of cutthroat organisation. And there's, there's definitely merit in that. There is. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. But the bottom line is that at most other top European clubs, Jurgen Klopp would have been sacked next season. And I'm like you. I hope we do go back to fawning over Jurgen next season. I really hope we do. But here's the thing for me, Trev. He has to earn it again. He has to earn it again. All of the goodwill that he's built up, for me, all the credit in the bank is now gone. And we're back to 0-0. It's an open game again, an even start. He has to earn it all again because it's not just this season. This is two seasons of the last three that have been drastic underperformances. And I understand there was mitigating circumstances in the 2021 season. We had injuries. Everyone has injuries. Our issue wasn't injuries. It was a failure to plan and a failure to prepare. The same thing is true of this season. And just because we got third that season, because United near fell, fell over themselves and Leicester shit themselves, 
we snuck in and got third. And everybody went, oh, well, Jesus, we got third. It's a great achievement. No, it wasn't a great achievement. It wasn't a great achievement. We were the best team in the world in May of 2019. And it wasn't close. I know City had won the league. We were better than them. We went and won the European Cup. We ran away with the title the next season off the back of what we had built. But we had failed to continue to build. And since then, we've been falling behind and doing the bare minimum. And now look where we are. And today we went into what I would say is the first meaningless, completely meaningless Liverpool game since Stoke away at the end of 14-15. Because in 15-16, when Klopp took over, obviously our league campaign ran to nothing in the end, but there was still an excitement around Jürgen and what it might become and what we could potentially do. In two finals as well, you know. Two, two, two finals, yeah. We, and that's the thing. We were, we were building up towards that Europa League final. In 16-17, we went to the final day for the European Cup. In 17-18, we went to the final day to, or for the champion top four. Same thing in 17-18, and we got to the European Cup final. In 19-20, the title went to the final day, and then we had the European Cup. In, in Sorry, in 18-19, I mean. In 19-20, we won the league. So those games were just a joy to watch because we were still celebrating having won the league. So those games still mattered. We still cared. We still had, you know, enjoyment from them. There was no enjoyment to be found before this game today. Now, the game itself turned out to be one of the best shit games of football you'll you'll likely see. Like, it was enjoyable. It had a lot of bad football, but we got eight goals. We got end-to-end action. We got, you know, one team going 2-0 up, the other team going 4-2 up, and then a, a fight back. And it was it was a decent back and forth battle, but the bottom line is it was a decent back back and forth battle between us and a team that have been automatically relegated from the Premier League weeks ago without any chance of, you know, taking it to the final day. A team that had won let me see now, three games since the nineteenth of October, no games since the fourth of March, had lost 10 of their last 12 and 8 of their last 9 before this one. And they put it right up to us. And I get that we rested players. I I get that. That just goes to highlight how bad our squad depth is because they weren't at full strength either. They were missing a number of players too. And yet, for big stretches of the game, they just outplayed us. So... Like, the season's been shit. It's been horrendous. The hope is that Jürgen has learned lessons. The hope is that this summer he is ruthless and he bins off a lot of players that needed to be binned off a couple of years back. Now, the signs are that he hasn't learned because he tried to keep Milner, who, as we saw today, is no longer capable of playing in the Premier League. He tried to keep Bobby, and with respect to Bobby, as much as I love him, the time had come for Bobby to leave. He spoke over a week ago. He said that no player, no player in the squad had impressed him more than Fabio Carvalho. In a meaningless game, he played zero minutes today. 
zero minutes. In the second half of this season, so starting after the World Cup break with the Aston Villa League match, he played six minutes in the league. He played 66 minutes against Wolves in the FA Cup. So he played a total of 72 minutes since Liverpool came back from the World Cup break. Oh, sorry, no, he played 45 minutes against City in the EFL Cup as well. So that's 117 minutes. This is the kid who impressed him more than anybody. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Zero minutes. Yet James Milner played 97 minutes today. Yeah, and there was... Henderson played 45, give or take, given the uh, the stoppage time. Why? There were quotes during the week as well from him talking about Carvalho and saying that he arrived with big dreams and basically uh, something along the lines of, I'm paraphrasing, but it didn't work out and sounded quite final. So I knew that he would not feature on the back of that and the sentiment expressed. And Mo, it's time to bring you in on this, mate, because, you know, there will be probably, we've probably lost one or two uh, along the way here uh, with the downbeat nature of the opening. But like, uh, I, I think there's a requirement that we're honest. And I wanted to just get your immediate thoughts, but also just to, to maybe lead you down a path here. There was something about that, like the way Dave described it there, it just, it just had the feel, didn't it, of two bald men fighting over a comb that game today. It was just borderline farcical at times. And I'd be interested to hear, at least as you're giving your initial take, not necessarily on this game, but on, on the season in general, where you feel or what you're thinking around the whole idea with the manager, where he is, because it, it is a little bit of a worry to hear some of these sentiments that are being expressed, to be told the stories surrounding Milner and Bobby and uh, the the sentimentality angle. And, you know, I, 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 I found it stunning that the manager was going out on a limb to make sure that Jim Miller played the, the entirety of the match today. I didn't understand that. And, and, and I'm, I'm winding up to a question here, Mo, don't worry. During the week, myself and Jan had a chat and we usually we endeavor to be upbeat he's 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 a remarkable fella he he doesn't like to dwell on the negatives too much unless it's really necessary and, and we had we ended up having a, quite an upbeat chat but the one thing that i came away with at the end was when we were doing our predictions 
and what Jan thought the game would go like. He went 4-1 Liverpool. And the reason he went 4-1 Liverpool is he fully expected that we would go strong and finish with a statement of intent. Now, that's some old-fashioned shit right there that I love. But instead, we did what we did. We selected the team we selected. I failed to see the sense in it. I don't understand it. Tell me where the benefits lie for that team selection. I don't see them. And you're gonna it's gonna be a hard sell to explain it to me. So you put that package together, Mo, and you're left with a little bit of uneasiness, aren't you, going into this closed season where we expect so much. Yeah, I mean, during the week, you know, Jurgen let on that, you know, he was going to make a number of changes and give players who would otherwise um, had limited minutes um, in terms of league, uh, Premier League time during the course of the season, give them a chance to show what they've got. And, you know, sure enough, that that's what he did. You know, made a number of changes. Um, and, you know, we, we got what we got. I, I do think, you know, despite, you know, a very ragged performance by Liverpool, had there been just one single change, which was the goalkeeper and Alisson had played, it would definitely not have finished 4-4. Um, yeah. uh, even yeah. if everything else had stayed the same, I, I think Kelleher could have done a far better job on three, if not four of the goals. Uh, and Alisson certainly, in my view, would have stopped three, if not all four. Um, and, and again, we'll, we'll perhaps come on to that later on, but uh you know, we, I think, you know, Jan would have possibly come true in his prediction um, had, had Alisson started. But look, let's not get away from the fact, you know, as Dave pointed out, it has been an absolutely awful season. And I go back to something that I posted on Twitter very early into the season where I said that the root cause of all of the problems that we were seeing from this club were to do with two things. Loyalty from Jürgen and a lack of investment from the owners. And, you know, you've touched upon the first of those points um, with Dave around loyalty. And it wasn't just about loyalty to players. I thought it was also loyalty to his backroom staff as well, who he secured a significant pay rise for um, last calendar year. And yet they've repaid him by letting him down. You know, Linders, for example, um, made some suggestions around uh, an orthodox pre-season. And that Liverpool to go into the start of this Premier League season looking undercooked, underprepared, uh, and really off the boil. And on top of that, you know, his um, doppelganger, Kormaier, um I, I thought had, had an absolute stinker of a season this season. Um, I, I think a lot of fingers can be pointed at him. You know, injuries caused havoc to our season. I do think that had we had far fewer injuries, we should comfortably still, despite everything, have finished top four. This squad of players, for me, was not the fifth strongest squad in the Premier League. I think this should have finished as a group second, third at worst. And the reason it didn't was largely down to the manager and his loyalty. Yes, the owners should have invested more last summer, but from all accounts, it was actually not a lack of um, willingness on their part. It was actually more Klopp being very, very uh, reluctant to 
agreed to any proposed uh, midfielders that were put his way. And so therefore, we, we, we ended up with a loan signing right on pretty much transfer deadline day, which was an unmitigated disaster in the signing of Artemelo. And so, you know, we went through the season with midfielders who were injury prone, suffering injury after injury, lo and behold. And, you know, on top of that, we saw a number of other key injuries to players that, you know, otherwise normally are quite resilient. You know, so again, it suggested that perhaps training and other things that were going on um, outside of matches um, were not optimal. And uh, again, at a top club like you can sorry like like Dave touched on earlier you know these, these are the sorts of things that at a top club heads will be rolling heads will be heads will be rolling in the next 24 48 hours not at this club not at this club because we have owners that see success as a bonus not as a prerequisite we have a manager who this week talked about how playing on a Thursday night in Europe who cares is what he said yeah. So when that is the attitude that runs through this club from the ownership and the manager on down, then what more do you expect? So there are those fans amongst us who constantly make excuses for the owners and the manager, and yet they get despondent when this team finishes outside of the top four and struggles to achieve success. Well, this is just the start. Because Can I ask them all, right? You said, you said about players that got injured that are normally fairly durable, right? Let's look at the players that got injured this season. Thiago got injured. He's injury prone. Naby got injured. He's injury prone. Ox got injured. He's injury prone. Curtis got injured. Curtis actually gets injured every season. He is actually injury prone. Uh, Stefan Basetic got injured. We weren't expecting him to play any kind of a role this season anyway, so I'm not taking his injury as any reason for this failure. Bobby got injured. Bobby's been getting injured a lot over the last couple of seasons. Jota mm. got injured. Jota gets injured every single season. Matip and Gomez, I think, had a couple of little knocks, both of whom are injury prone. Ibu got injured. Ibu arrived to us with a worrying issue about his hip and some injury issues. The only player, and Calvin Ramsey got injured. If anyone wants to tell me that the 18-year-old Scottish right-back we bought from Aberdeen was going to play a big role, I'd love to hear it because he was fit for the first half of the season and didn't get a look in. The only player who got injured this season that we shouldn't have known would get injured is Luis Diaz. He's the only one. Everyone else, we knew they were injury-prone to begin the season. So this is what I mean by failing to plan properly. Jürgen sat there with that sycophant and said, tell me why, tell me why we need a midfielder. And he sat in the press conferences and he listed off these midfielders. He listed off Naby and Ox and Thiago. And you sat there thinking, yeah, all right, the other good players, but they're always injured. He listed Fabinho. Pretty clear at the end of last season that his legs were starting to go and you know he's always one that picks up a knock here or there tends to miss maybe a month, six weeks of a season. He named Henderson, the fellow had been garbage for two years and also has a history of injuries. He named Milner, who hasn't been good enough to play 
for a top club for three years, yet Jürgen continues to force him in. He named Harvey Elliott, who frankly isn't a midfielder, and he named Fabio Carvalho, who he then played for six or eight minutes or whatever it was in the back half of a season. I'm sorry. The injuries, I'm not taking injuries as an excuse for Liverpool this season. I'm just not. That is a failure to plan. Those players are injury-prone players. And you mentioned uh, Cronmeyer. There was a very revealing article in The Athletic by Simon Hughes. Now, I don't put much into what The Athletic have to say, but Simon Hughes doesn't tend to deal in the currency of bullshit. He's, when he writes about Liverpool, it tends to be something that he's certain on, that's very well sourced and that he has put significant time and effort into. And he wrote a piece about Liverpool's medical department from the sports science people to the injury prevention people to the recovery team. And he painted a picture of complete and utter chaos led by Kornmeyer who'd been given all of this extra power by Klopp, had fallen out with people, had caused people to leave. A picture of chaos. Then you mentioned Pep and Linders as well, Mo. He is rumoured to have planned last season's pre-season, which, as we've all seen, has been a mess. We had a report in, I believe, The Telegraph by a national reporter who's not a Liverpool journalist, and therefore has no reason to dig anybody out. And he wrote a very detailed piece which pointed at Heppenlinders having far too much input in recruitment and other aspects. And you do wonder, has Jürgen taken or did Jürgen take a big step back and say, right, I'm going to be the manager here. I'm going to act like a general manager. And I'm going to give more control to these people that I trust. Because if he did, it blew up in his face. Now, I don't know that he did. I'm just speculating. But this season has blown up in his face massively. And he's been made look an absolute fool. Because of the arrogance he displayed last season, the way he spoke down to fans... And it's not the first time he's done that. He's been doing that for a few years. He he needs this summer to readdress what he wants, what the club needs, what's in everybody's best interests. And he needs to tear it down and start to rebuild something. Central to that, Dave, central to that is the concept of his, and by extension, the club's, relationship with the owners and the finance that is central because and again Mo I'm just going to throw this one back straight at you and by the way if you're listening to this and you're expecting the usual format lads what do you expect it's the end of the season like well you want you want detailed analysis of 4-4 like I said two ball lads fighting over a comb we'll get to it just bear with us Mo just to throw this back to you as our resident finance guy, it, it, it is going to take what, what to me seems like an, an unlikely 
change in that relationship? Because I posit this theory to you. If 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 we had been managed by uh, an angry Italian with a, a wonderful, wonderful uh, fake hair job, there is no way that that lad wouldn't have been shouting the odds about what was available to him, what he wanted, and how it wasn't adequate. If we were managed by a Spanish lad who won us the Champions League, there is no way that at this stage of the relationship, there wouldn't have been pointed comments by same gentleman around the deficit between what he would have expected what the fans would have expected. Dave went on earlier on in quite eloquent detail about what we would possibly have hoped for versus what occurred on the back of success. And I know you've talked about this in depth. Do you have any genuine hope? Because I'm not, here's the thing, I I don't think I do. And this is what leaves me a little bit despondent going into the period of uh, 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 transactions. Do you have any hope, Mo, that that there's going to be some kind of sea change in that uh, dialogue between manager and, as a result, all the areas of the club we care about and ownership when it comes to recruitment and budget and the necessities therein, given as well, as we said, the little worrying traits or trends there around the loyalty and the hanging on to lads way past their sell-by date. I mean, an awful lot of people on the back of this game and this the end of the season will have gone back into full hopium mode. You, you understand where I'm going with this. There'll be full-on hopium. If we can do this, then that. If we, if we can only do this, then that. Sh- should they possibly temper their expectations more? Because I I kind of believe they should. I agree. Um, look, here's, here's the thing. Um, on the, I'll start off by saying this. I think Liverpool Football Club will spend more money this summer um, than it has as a club since 2018. Okay. So, so there will be fans who will herald that and they'll say oh the net spend boys are quiet tonight and all this kind of nonsense uh, but look that doesn't mean that it will bring us any closer to challenging um, and being where we were only a year ago you know 15 18 months ago um because what we see over the course what we've seen rather over the course of the last nine months is a group of players who despite still being one of the best group of players within the Premier League, a number of them are clearly on the wrong side of their peak years. And, you know, we should have been seeing a far more proactive approach to, as Dave touched on earlier, around planning, squad management. And this is something I firmly believe um, a certain Mr. Edwards had very good, well-designed plans for. But unfortunately, he came up against a manager who let emotion and loyalty come in the way of those plans. And as a result, Mr. Edwards decided that 
his future would be better off elsewhere and not at Liverpool Football Club. And so we now are in a position where a number of our players are age 30 or very, very close to 30 and on the wrong side of their peak. And then on top of that, we also know that had Jurgen Klopp had his way in the last three years alone, Dejan Lovren would still be at the Liverpool Football Club. Adam Lallana would still be at the club. James Milner would still be at the club. Bobby Firmino would still be at the club. And probably one or two others on the wrong side of 30. So we probably genuinely have gone into next season, 23-24, with 12, 13, 14 players over the age of 30. Had Klopp had his way, had he managed to convince these players, no, please stay around, um, I'll, I'll, I'll take care of you. Um, almost being like the German equivalent of Harry Redknapp. Um, and uh, I, I just um, do despair in that regard. But going back to the finances, I think that there will be investment. We've seen over the course of this season, as I touched on earlier, we are now seeing a number of players that are, you know, hitting that point where, you know, ideally we want to be moving them on, but we may not be able to because there's so much to do. So Andy Robertson is a case in point. Andy Robertson, I think, had Edwards been around at this point in time, probably would have looked at this summer as the ideal time to move him on. Age 29, uh, he's clearly um, uh, gone past his absolute peak. And whilst he still has some value, um, move him on, um, bring in, you know, 25, 30, maybe even more million and um, invest that in um, another player who's got a lot more years to give and is on the rise. Um, and yet I think not only will he stay, he'll probably be with us for another several years at least. And that again will be partly down to Jürgen, um, but partly down to a lack of strong ownership because we have owners who I think look at um, top four as, as the primary objective and ensuring that that revenue stream um, stays healthy in that regard. And anything over and above that is purely a bonus, which is completely a different mindset to a lot of the other top clubs around Europe. But I think, yeah, in answer to your question, we will spend, but we will spend significantly. I simply don't think we'll get anywhere near the amount of business done that we need to. And we again will go into next season short of what exactly what we need. And so, yes, we will address gaps here and there, but then we'll probably see new gaps arising and those new gaps will arise because of a lack of proper squad management and also due to the loyalty of the manager. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa. He does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable, there every week after the Premier League match week. 
So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. Look, the other thing to factor in here as well with the summer is Julian Ward told this club he was leaving in early December, probably earlier. He probably told the club a couple of months before that that he would leave this summer. They've had all year to find a replacement. And instead, what we're getting is Jörg Schmatke. Now, nothing against him. He's done a solid job at mid-level clubs. But this guy was retired. This guy was not someone anybody would have put on a top 20 list of sporting directors around Europe. We've had six months to prepare for Julian Ward's departure. We've had six months to approach the best sporting directors in the world. And there's just no way, there's absolutely no way that the Liverpool job wouldn't be appealing to the very best of the best. But we get Klopp's buddy who likes to go to fucking concerts with him. Mm, exactly, because Jürgen has far too much power and say at the club and likely doesn't want a sporting director who's going to stand up to him because that was the issue with Edwards, is that Edwards would stand up to him. Klopp would go around Edwards to Mike Gordon. Edwards got fucked off with it and quit. That's basically what happened. Like, there's a, Mike Edwards didn't go to America for any reason other than the club stood him down. The reason he's back is he's back to help negotiate in the summer. He's back to help negotiate sales more than anything because Schmatke, by, by the reporting, is coming in more with a focus on recruitment. So there isn't really anybody there to focus on sales. And Mo mentioned Robertson, and he's right. I mean, the thing is, we seem to have a fan base that's very split in terms of what their wants are for the club. Mo mentioned earlier that the owners don't put success as a prerequisite. We also have fans that don't put success as a prerequisite. We have fans that would be happy for Liverpool to become some sort of retirement home, that we just keep Mo Salah and all these world-class players surrounded by, you know, 35-year-old Jordan Henderson, 39-year-old James Milner, 31-year-old Andy Robertson, 34-year-old Bobby Firmino, or whatever he'd be in two years. Like, there are swaths of our fan base that just are appalled by the idea that you might suggest selling Robertson. But selling Robertson is absolutely what we should have should have been looking to do this summer. Yep. Because if you have to sell one of Robbo or Costas, it makes far more sense to sell Robbo. Yes, he's better. He's also older. He's on much higher wages. He will bring in a significantly higher fee. And Costas doesn't mind being the backup. He doesn't kick off, doesn't cause any trouble. The transition for Robbo from every game starter to squad player could be quite a stark one. And there's no telling how he'll accept it. And people will say, oh, he's a model pro. He'll accept it. Jordan Henderson didn't accept it in 2018-19 when Klopp tried to move him into a squad role. He had himself a big tantrum. And when complaining to Klopp, by his own admission, when complaining to Klopp. So there's no guarantee that Robbo will just accept a squad role, which can lead to its own problems. Neither Costas nor Robbo count as homegrown. So that's not an argument for keeping Robbo either. 
Henderson should be getting moved on this summer. By all by by all rights, his contract should be up this summer. But Jurgen went to bat for him two years ago, went over Edwards' head when Edwards said he wasn't going to give him a new deal, and Henderson went crying to the media. And all of a sudden, it's a new four-year deal on big money. And it's been two years of consistently shit performances since then. And he's not going to get any better. He's not going to get any quicker. He's not going to get any better technically. None of that's going to improve. He's going to be this player or worse moving forward. So to answer your question, Trev, I have some faith in the owner's desire to, to spend money this summer purely because we don't have Champions League. So I believe they will want to spend to get back into the Champions League in the same way that the Cronkies did at Arsenal and in the same way that the Glazers did at Ultra at United. I think FSG will. Now, I don't think they'll push the boat. I don't think we're looking at like, you know, a 300 million kind of spend. But I do think we'll see significantly more money spent. Now, that might that will most likely have knock on effects over the coming years in that they might then cheap out over the next over next summer and the summer after. The problem is, if you look at our squad right now, if Keller leaves, we need a backup for him. We clearly need two new centre backs because Gomez and Matip don't cut it anymore. We need a new starting left back slash left sided centre back for this new shape. We need a backup for Trent. We need three in midfield. And we could do with a bit of wing depth because really and truly, Mo and Diaz are the only natural wide players in the squad. Cody, Darwin and uh, Diogo can all play wide, but they're not great wide. Cody is. Cody's very good wide. wide. He doesn't have the pace to play in our system as a wide player. They're all better centrally. So we could do... That's nine players. Now, none of us expect nine arrivals this summer. Then next... So, so say we get five and you push to the four to next summer. Well, next summer, Thiago also leaves. So now you need five next summer as well. And that's where I think they'll pull the rug. Is I think they might spend this summer. We get third or fourth next season because, you know, it's, it's a, a massive rebuild needed. And then they pull things back. My issue this summer is I don't have faith in Jurgen because I've never seen Jurgen rebuild one of his own teams successfully. I saw him fail to do it at Mines. I saw him fail to do it at Dortmund. I haven't seen him do it successfully. And it's not that they don't get good players in because Dortmund bought some really good players. The issue is he won't drop his existing players for those new signings. He'll insist on playing the trusted circle. So we might go this summer and buy, let's say we buy Romeo Lavia from Southampton or Manuel Ugart from Sporting because he's more ready-made. I wouldn't trust that Jurgen will just drop Fabinho and play this new holding midfielder. Let's say we buy Kefran Turam. Well, I don't trust that Henderson's not going to start more league games than him in the, in the Premier League next season. So that's where my issue is. I, I think Jürgen's loyalty is his biggest strength as a human being and his biggest weakness as a manager. He's far too loyal. What did Bob Paisley always say? Let them get old on someone else's payroll. Jürgen's the exact opposite. He wants them to get old 
and grey around him so they can all chat about the good old days. What did I say to you on Twitter earlier on? It's like a sequel, I swear to God. It's just sentimentality, mm. isn't it? That's yeah. exactly what it is. It's just exactly what it is. And I'm not sure it's okay for us to gloss over that, which is why at this point I'm going to change the tone of the show because if we have, I think we probably have about three listeners left and that's fine. I know I understand that you guys are along with us for the uh, catharsis or as I said earlier on, the cat arses. Uh, and let's have a quick look at the game because the game in itself is a fantastic little microcosm of the insanity, stupidity uh, and disappointment that is this season. We go two goals up early on, Mo. Diogo Jada puts us up the one up on, on 10 minutes. There's a ball that's played back to the keeper who plays it out to Lavia, <laughs> our uh, prospective uh, world beater, who squares the ball without looking to a defensive colleague and Diogo nips in and finishes first time past McCarthy. Wonderful. Four minutes later, Bobby Firmino. And we're all thinking at this point, oh, we're on the beach in a good way. Mm, this it's is going to be 6-0. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a lovely ball uh, into feet. Um, from the deep by Trent into Fab's feet. Really liked Fab's reverse through ball type of thing, which was taken in his stride by Bobby Firmino. He's moving left to right. He beats two defenders and shoots back across goal. Now, I don't know what you think, Mo, but I, I thought that was a sort of percentages shot and I don't know that it have particular accuracy or power but anyway it went past McCarthy uh, Suleimana had a bicycle kick on 15 minutes and I'm going to take it with you Mo up until the 2-2 because that was around about the half hour mark I think 27 minutes is when the second goal goes in on 18 minutes Ward Prowse has them back in the game theoretically some nice interplay by them, including a one-two and a square ball, which is swept home by Ward Prowse coming in from left to right uh, and finishing first time. I think, Mo, myself, that's appalling defending by us. 27 minutes was another token effort. And then on 27 minutes, they are ridiculously level. It's Suleimana who... Uh, who has put them a level on 2-2. A pretty simple through ball played by Walcott, sort of down the side of the defence to Suleimane. His first time finish, I would have thought, was way too easily finished past Grieving Kelleher in a comparatively central part of the goal. Both of the goals, Ward-Prowse's goal and Suleimane's goal, I believe, and I think you've already alluded to this, would have been saved with con- comparative ease by our goalkeeper, Du Jour, who is uh, Alison Becker. And we all have very high, high opinions of Creeping Keller because he's earned them. He went out today and he played like a child. And I say that with no pleasure because not only is he a countryman, I was hoping that his performance today would get him the move that he deserved because he's been so good for us, Mo. 
that I want him to do well. I want him to get his move. I want him to go on and prove himself to be a wonderful, wonderful footballer. But the thing that their two goals have in common for me is him. Anyway, that's four goals for you to chat about in a half an hour of football. What do you reckon? Yeah, I mean, as you pointed out, you know, we were two in the lap pretty early and uh, it looked like it would be a walk in the park. It looked like uh, Southampton were literally resigned to uh, losing and, uh, you know, they, they certainly didn't start well at all. And, uh, you know, two quite tidy goals from us as well, albeit one obviously came off of a absolute howler defensively, uh, which allowed Jota to slot away. And he, and he you know... Um, you know, he responded very quickly to that um, howler uh, by Lavia, and uh, you know a lot of jokes on uh, on Twitter and elsewhere about um, uh, Lavia already providing an assist for Liverpool before he's even joined us, um, yeah. by all accounts. So um, yeah, that that was that was nice from Jota, and you know again, you know you go back to the Jota of. Um, um, just after he returned from injury and, you know, he, he would have probably fired it high and wide. Um, but, uh, you know, he, um, he he did a clinical job of putting that one away. Uh, Bobby's goal was, you know, a classic throwback Bobby finish. A um, bit like um, that game against Arsenal um, several years ago at Anfield. He left a couple of um, the Southampton defenders on the backsides with a, a, a Beautiful dummy, and I think he put the, the ball through McCarthy's legs um, for his finish. Um, so yeah, that that was nice, and uh, it was good to see him score one final time uh, for the Reds. So at that point, we were thinking, yeah, it's going to be a comfortable uh, game, and it's really a question of how much we'll win by. Uh, but then, you know, as we have seen this season, you know, we are a team with a bit of a soft centre, and uh, you know that that. You know, proved to be the case. You know, we uh, saw that um, first goal from Southampton, and I know that some were criticising, you know, uh, Trent for it. But I thought, you know, he he was dragged into the centre somewhat by some poor positioning in play from, um, I think it might be Matip. Um, otherwise, you know, he would have done perhaps a better job of being a bit closer to uh, Ward Prowse. Um, but yeah, that that overall was. You know, you know, symptomatic of our season. Um, you know, very, very typical kind of goal that we've conceded far too often in the 22-23 campaign. And then the Suleimana goal again. You know, was just so poor um, in terms of just waltzing through the centre of, of the park. And um, you know, Fab could have done a bit better, but yeah, Keller again. You know, just so poor. Um, I, th- I think he could have done a better job trying to defend it with his feet. Um, but, you know, that was, again, a shame because, you know, Kelly, as you pointed out, has been so good for us over the last several seasons in cup competitions. And yet, you know, what we saw today was a player that looked nothing like the play we've seen in the Carabao and the FA Cup. Um, so I don't know what happened to him, but um, it was a bit of an odd performance by him. But uh, it, w- it was disappointing because, you know... Uh, it was a kind of game that you would have wanted him to go out on a high and, you know, that would have then allowed um, others to perhaps take that interest in, in snapping him up because I still think he's a good goalkeeper despite today's performance. And, you know, he should still have a number of suitors, but, you know, a strong performance today, um, 
you know, would have just had one or two of the more interested, more keen ones salivating a little bit more to think, you know, he's he's really good. He's a top quality goalkeeper. Let's let's snap him up. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm sure overall it won't harm his prospects, but you know, certainly perhaps didn't enhance his value um, off of that. So, you know, it, again, it was it was one of these games where, you know, some good and some absolutely abysmal football from Liverpool Football Club. I feel. Uh, atypically pessimistic in thinking that it probably did harm his value uh, because of the of the of the you know the platform that it is a Premier League game regardless of what it is or where it is has a certain window and has a certain um, exposure to it and uh, yeah the lad looked absolutely absolutely awful if we're being perfectly honest and the first half ended there was a token effort by Elianusi on 38 minutes after the easiest move in the world just made its way through our midfield and defence and then there was a penalty shout on Jota on 42 minutes VAR checked it my ridiculously shit stream didn't give me a chance to have an opinion on it one way or the other and there was, on 44 minutes, a shot saved in relative slow motion by Kelleher after Ward-Prowse corner was, uh, a short corner was 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 uh, cut back and Suleimani had a, an effort, which led to nothing. Like I say, a Kelleher, easy save. He now, should Dave, have scored that. He should have scored that. Oh, if it's any kind of good connection, that's a goal. Where our defence was asleep. 100% should have been uh, us going in in deficit at half time. Now, we have four more goals to talk about, like I talked about to, to, to Mo about four, Dave. Do you have any quick flashbacks on that first half that you want to mention just before we get into that? Um, to the, Lavia, the Lavia pass was kind of a precursor for what the game in, in, in its entirety would become. Um, Bobby's goal is is a beautiful thing, and you know it's great that he gets a goal on his final game. Their two goals, I mean, uh, yeah, Kelleher should do better for both, but Jesus wept. Joel Matip and Joe Gomez, lads, what the fuck has happened? What has happened? I know Gomez has had injuries. I know he his knee suffered an absolutely traumatic injury. But that lad has completely fallen off a cliff. And Joel Matip, I just I just don't understand. Like, up until last February, Joel Matip was playing like one of the five or six best centre-backs in the world. And I always thought that's, that's the Virgil bounce. And then he dropped off towards the end of last season. And this season, he's been a bit of a train wreck. But today was a whole new level of, of just abject defending. Um, just on Kelleher, he's a good goalkeeper. He definitely is a good goalkeeper. But Liverpool fans are guilty of overrating him. That Today was his fifth Premier League game in his career. Fifth. He's 24 years of age. And when other clubs look at him, they're going to look at Premier League and Champions League more so than cup games, which can be a little bit chaotic. And they're going to look at 
you know, what's around him, who's he playing with, etc., etc., etc. And when they look at games where he plays behind Virgil and Ibu or whatever, and he looks outstanding, they're going to think, okay, well, he's got Van Dijk, he's got Kanate. Last season, Liverpool were the best defensive team in the league. What does he look like if you take away those factors? Because our defenders are not as good as their defenders. Their defenders are probably not even as good as Gomez and Matip for a lot of cases. You know, if you go up and down the Premier League, there's a lot of bad defenders in the league. And I think they will have looked at today and gone, oh, if he doesn't have a rock-solid defence in front of him, now we have some questions that we need to answer. I still think he'll get a good move this summer. I still think a smart club will buy him, a Brighton maybe, a Brentford perhaps. But I don't think we were ever getting a 25, 30 million pound fee for him. I think you the don't. market for him was always going to be around 15 million add-ons. 15, yeah, yeah. Trev, Gavin Bassoon is a better goalkeeper than him. Yeah, he's he younger is. and he's he more is. experienced. He's got a far more first-team games under his belt. Keller's got 21 senior appearances under his belt. Basunu had 70-plus before he joined Southampton, and he went for 12 and add-ons. So I, I think 15 and add-ons was always going to be kind of the value. <clears throat> and before today, allegedly Brentford had, had inquired. This is based on reporting, not based on anything that I, I'm saying. Brentford had inquired, been told a price and gone, no, you're all right, thanks. Yeah. So, like, we're guilty of this as a fan base and as a club. In the same way, you know, we could have sold Nat Phillips a couple of years ago, but we started asking for way above what anybody else thought he was worth. In the same way that there's people saying, we shouldn't buy Romeo Lavia, we've got Besetic. Like, I'm not being funny. Romeo Lavia, before he kicked a senior football, went for 15 million in add-ons. And City insisted on a £40 million buyback. And City didn't want to sell him. He kind of forced his way out because he wanted to go and play. And he didn't want a loan. He wanted security. Romeo Lavia is, and has been for a number of years, the most highly sought-after young defensive midfielder in world football. Before he'd even played for Southampton, Chelsea offered £35 million. Southampton could have made a £20 million profit without him kicking a ball for them. That's the level he's regarded at. Stefan Besetic did well for us this season. When we were shit, the team was a shambles. And he did well. He also had multiple stinkers in there. He made a lot of mistakes that we overlooked because he's a young player. He's a very good prospect. He's not the level of prospect of Romeo Lavia. And we need to stop pretending that all of these players, just because they're Liverpool players, are better than they actually are. Besides, yeah, might be a, a really good player. Lavia is going to be a great player. Yeah, there's a bang of sentimentality pool uh, off it. <laughs> Uh, again, the second half, Dave, just to go through the big details here, we've got four goals to to blitz through. They come out and only two minutes in, they're a goal up. 
and it's 3-2. Silmane has run virtually the length of the pitch and finishes, finishes pretty much with a plum to the corner from the edge of the box. Um, I'll leave you to decipher what exactly happened there and the simplicity of it or whether it's just a wonder goal that you can never, ever, ever uh allow for or account for um there was a chance soon after that where bobby and then mo and then jota couldn't get their feet right uh on 56 we change it up we bring on uh harvey elliott cody gakpo luis diaz and jordan henderson for bobby simicus fab and curtis and harvey picks up a yellow on 60 minutes 62 they bring on uh, their two Armstrongs for Elianusi and Lavia. Uh, um, and it's almost comical that within two minutes, Adam Armstrong has been uh, basically given an assist by Jordan Henderson, who passes it straight to him in the way that Lavia did earlier on, although he does have a bit more to do, to be fair. He drives a goal and finishes across Kelleher in yet another example of Ali saves that. As Mo mentioned early on, I tweeted that straight away. I thought every one of those goals, I think Ali probably saves. I think Mo yeah. was, was almost pessimistic in the three out of four. I think he no, saves. I think he saves the ball. I do. I think he saves. Well, I would disagree with you on one thing though. Go on. Lavia receives that ball with three Liverpool players closing in on him, and plays a blind pass. He does. Jordan Henderson has the ball with no pressure is looking directly at Armstrong as he plays that pass. Oh, he still plays it to him. He finds him in the way that Glenn Hoddle used to find lads across the pitch. Yeah, Yeah. I agree agree with you entirely. Uh, There are chances for Diaz and Elliott. A couple of shots on 67 minutes. Another chance on 67 as well. Uh, Diaz to Jota. The shot was blocked. Corner, nothing came from it. And then in... Quick succession, 71 and 72 minutes, we get back level. Cody Gakpo uh, gets the third goal for us to make it 3-4. Nice one-touch move, ended with a Harvey ball through to Trent on the byline, who's centered beautifully, and there is Cody to finish it off. Um, and we could actually enjoy it because it was clearly onside. Mm. On 4-4, then that happens less, uh, just over a minute later, Again, it's Diogo Jota and my stream crapped out. So you, my friend, are going to have to fill in the details here because I haven't got a chance to see this fucking goal yet. I don't know what happened. I just know we went 4-4. Now, here's what's going to happen to take us home here because I'm just wary of this yoke running off schedule on us entirely. We're on an hour. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to Mo for his second half take and the last bit of the second half. Uh, then back to you for your wrap-ups and we'll finish with Mo. So just if you could uh, keep to this chunk of the match, mm. friend, what do you reckon <laughs> around the goals? It's not like it's a small bit here, but also this is daft stuff. It's end of season. Talk to me about your impressions around the, 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 the second half goal scoring. Right. So just on the Jota goal, it's Mo plays a nice through ball. Jota runs on and finishes well. It's a really well-taken goal. Uh, again, I think as we've asked questions of Kelleher, I do think you'd want to be asking some questions of Alex McCarthy. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure Basunu saves all four, but I reckon he saves at least two of the goals that we've scored today. 
Um, the first and third are probably unsavable, given how they came about and the fact that Gakpo tapped into an empty net that um, Jota's first came from the Lavia misplaced pass. Um, their two goals are, are just funny, though. Like, it's literally just two lads that pick the ball up in midfield, Suleimana in his own half, Armstrong just inside our half, and all they do is run. They don't really have... Like, Suleimana skips past Fabinho. As I'm screaming at Fabinho, just grab him. Just grab him. You don't have to do anything else. Just grab him and take a yellow card. Simple as that. The thing the thing Fabinho would have done a couple of years ago, just clip his heels, grab a hold of him, pull him back, whatever. Don't let him run past you like that. And the same goes with Armstrong. He just picks the ball up and he just runs. And he doesn't have to beat Trent because Trent is trying to get back across. He doesn't have to do anything. He just runs in a straight line. And in both goals, for the Lavia one, you had, or the Sulemana one rather, you had James Milner running as fast as his little legs would carry him. And he never got anywhere close to Sulemana. Proving that nobody actually wins a bleep test. One person just loses it more slowly than the rest. (laughs) And for the Armstrong goal, Henderson is running as fast as he can. Now, I'll give him credit because it's not something he does very often. He is chasing back. Adam Armstrong is not a particularly quick player. He's not slow, but he's not someone that's lightning fast. He's nippy. And Henderson just can't make up any ground on him at all. And those two moments, Milner running really slowly after Sulemana, Henderson running really slowly after Armstrong, and both of them absolutely busting their arses to move as fast as they can and still being that slow, just kind of sums up what this season has been like. Lots and lots of huff and puff and fuck all has come out of it. Um they're two really bad goals for us to concede. But the two goals we got, I mean, the the Gakpo one is really nicely worked. As you said, it's a nice little ball by Harvey. It's brilliant by Trent. How many times have we seen Trent do exactly that and just play that perfect ball? And it's either been Bobby or Sadio tapping in at the back post. And this time it's... Um, it's Cody. The other thing I just wanted to highlight in this little spell, you mentioned Harvey getting the uh, the yellow card. Up until this point, um, I had been keeping an eye on Lianco, who I'd watched at Roma. He was linked to us kind of loosely a couple of times. I was never really all that keen on him. He's always had an error in him. He's, he's quite Lovren-esque. Like he's the big, blustery, blood-and-thunder type of defender. Low-key, a complete prick. And today, his prick factor went up high. And I'm going to reintroduce uh, the Jordan Pickford meter. Uh, a solid eight for Leanko today on the Jordan Pickford meter. The reason Harvey got that yellow is because Leanko need Cody Gakbo in the back of the head. He didn't knee him hard. He just sort of put his knee onto him. Almost like a little bit of a just watch yourself kid kind of moment. And I just thought it was completely unnecessary and the work of a complete prick. Harvey coming in full steam and shoving him as hard as he could and being bounced about two foot backwards was hilarious. 
But I was really glad to see him do it because I think it's important that especially young players like Harvey grow up with that willingness to stand up for themselves and their teammates. Far too often, there's a lot of shrinking violets who just don't get involved in stuff like that. I, I was really happy to see Harvey go to bat for one of his teammates. Take a yellow card, it's fine, whatever. It was just good to see him actually be the one to go in and give your man a shove and say, don't act a prick like that. So, yeah, that's all I've really got on that spell. I like that myself and, uh, you know, immediate contract extension for Harvey Elliott on the back of it. Because, like you say, it's a it's a sentiment we could do it more of. And, and Mo, just to, to finish the game part with you, I want you to reflect, if you want to, on anything that's already been spoken about in terms of the four goals. But also, it's an interesting end to the game. Because... You couldn't but admit that we really do go for it. The success or standard of our going for it is probably up for grabs. There's a Harvey Elliott shot in 74 minutes almost immediately after he shot his goal. Livermento comes on for Walcott in the same moment. On 79 minutes, there's a Henderson through ball uh, sort of dinked through the middle. Most Salah has an attempt to either volley it or control it, depending on how generous you want to be, and ends up bouncing narrowly off target. 84 minutes, Cody shot narrowly over the top from distance. It was a good hit, power in it, but over the top nonetheless. They bring on Ballard and Amo Amayao for uh, Sulemane and Ward-Prowse on 86. 87 minutes saw dangerous Luis Diaz ball cleared um, to Henderson, who volleyed by the numbers pretty much straight at the keeper from distance, but at least it had a little bit of something about it. On 89 minutes, there was a first-time effort from Mo Salah uh, with his right foot saved, led to a corner. We got nothing from that. There were seven minutes added, Mo. Uh, in those seven minutes, we saw a wild Luis Diaz effort on 90. We saw Mo carrying on 92, cutting inside on 92, and taking the usual Mo pose and curling it just wide. And I was heartbroken because that was his attempt to do the thing that would have made something out of this game for me because I know what these details, these records, these uh, individual stats mean to Mo Salah. And too many people don't seem to give a shit about that. That means a lot to him to be this guy who's done this thing and now he hasn't done it. And it's it was very frustrating for me. On 94, um, the kid they brought on, um, Ammo did very well. Walker Peters ends up with the ball, cuts in, attempts a shot at goal. It's curled from left to right. And um, Quivine remembers it might be decent to make a save occasionally. And he does a full stretch, uh, whatever. And then there are two more attempts from Mo Salah and Joe Gomez on around the 96th minute. Uh, I guess my point is we didn't drop the effort level. It did continue. The quality was suspect. Uh, It was frustrating in several different ways. Uh, The second half, Mo, including that last part, your take. 
I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. Yeah, I mean, it definitely had end-of-season vibes of a, a game where there was nothing really at stake other than perhaps a bit of personal pride. Um, this was one of the rare occurrences where substitutions by Jürgen in the second half made overall positive difference, not necessarily with all four that he brought on just uh, close to the hour mark. Um, Henderson had another terrible game uh, to cap off an abysmal season. Um, and I thought uh, Diaz um, still looks very, very far from the player that we saw um, in the second half of last season and the first few weeks of this season before he suffered that um, injury. Um, and hopefully um, a good preseason will get him far closer to the player um, that we became accustomed to seeing. But I thought Harvey Elliott, um, and I've criticised him, um, a great deal this season by his standards had actually a, a decent uh, half an hour of football um, I thought he um, worked really hard and um, contributed well um, albeit against um, the worst team in the league and you know that always has to uh, be, be borne in mind that some of his better performances this season have been against teams that you know ha have either just been outright poor or have performed really poorly on the day um, such as the United game at Anfield a couple of months back um, but yeah overall it, it was one of those games where it was positive to see us trying to finish um, the game uh, by trying to get Mo to his 20 goals but in a way I also felt that that might have cost us that fifth goal because it seems certainly for the last 10-15 minutes we seem more intent on trying to get Murray's 20th run to try and get a fifth goal. And so there were times when maybe they were trying to play him in when um, others were better placed to, you know, at, at least shoot. And, uh, you know, that, that it, it is what it was. And, you know, ultimately, um, you know, whether we won the game or not, it wasn't really going to make any real difference. But um, nonetheless, I, th I think what it did do is confirm we have a lot of business to do. And uh, I don't think we're going to get as much done as we'd like, or as we hope. And uh, I just hope that we do enough to address the most glaring weaknesses. And then we'll, I guess, have to see how Klopp tries to manage around um, the other weaknesses. And uh, I don't, like Dave, have the highest confidence in him in 
being, being able to even acknowledge them, never mind address them. Um, so uh, that, that, that's a worry. But uh, overall, look, you know, it ends perhaps the worst season under Klopp. You know, for, for me, he has been, of all of the top managers in European football, the one that's underperformed by the the biggest margin by quite a distance. Um, he's had a really poor season, you know, bad decisions, you know, in recruitment, bad decisions um, in terms of in-game play, team selections, um, giving people in his backroom staff more influence than they need or should have, and um, loyalty to players. And, uh, you know, there, there's an assortment of areas that he, I think, has to really reflect on um, over the next few weeks before everyone reassembles for pre-season. And, and hopefully we'll see something positive and, and a change. I'm, I'm not entirely hopeful, but I'm hoping that we, we do see something and, and it's needed because, uh, you know, we, we see these teams in the rest of the Premier League, you know, Man City will still be up there. Arsenal, you know, they've had a disappointing end to the season, but, you know, they will probably invest heavily now that they've got Champions League income coming in. Um, Chelsea, despite having had a wretched season, have made a decent appointment in Pochettino and they've still got a really exciting uh, group of youngsters in, 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 their, in their squad. And I think if, if Poch manages to gel that um, core of that young squad together, you know, that they could really come on a lot next season. And, you know, Newcastle will invest heavily now that they've got Champions League. Even United, despite all their many flaws, um, perhaps will still bring in one or two players that can make a difference in the way they did this season. They should never have finished in the top four, but then they made, you know, one or two inspired signings, one one or two absolutely abysmal signings, but those one or two really good signings plus Rashford um, coming into unexpected form, um, you know, saw them over the line. So the point I'm making is, is that, you know, we, we can't think that next season, you know, we'll be back to our best, given that none of the others will really stand still. You know, they're all going to look to improve. And it really depends on Jürgen more than anyone, even more than the owners, um, to get us back to at least a top four club, never mind challenging for the league again. Do you know what, man? That's <laughs> that's been really, really uh, uh, coherent, profound, and all-encompassing sort of a a wrap up there. To the extent that I feel like it would be cruel to go back to you and expect more from you. So let's just let you finish off on that because there's a lot there for people to chew over. If you have any final thoughts, just throw them in here. And just also, if you wouldn't mind, man, let people know what might be to come ahead for uh, fans of the financial side of the game and uh, of Liverpool Football Club in terms of your own podcast or anything else you want to plug. Well, I mean, of everyone involved at Liverpool Football Club, my biggest frustration by far this season is with the manager. Yes, he has delivered some of the most memorable times we've had as Liverpool fans over the last few years. But, you know, just as quickly as he assembles something truly special, you know, he, he's played as big a part as any in um, breaking that down. And so, you know, he, he's got a lot of damage to repair. You know, he talked about making us 
um, believers from doubters, and yet we went backwards to being doubters again. So he has to make that change and make us believers once more. Um, so it really is on him now. Um, but in closing, um, just a couple of things in terms of my player of the season. By a distance, it has to be Alisson. I dread to think where we would be this season without his consistency and him being the best goalkeeper in the world yet again. He was my player of the season last season as well. Um, so I, I think that, you know, he is an absolutely immense rock for us. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm just grateful that we have a player of that calibre at the club. But um, my final point in terms of um, podcasts, so I have been off with Money Talks for a good couple of months now. So um, listeners can expect to hear um, several of those in uh, the close season and uh, hopefully the first of those will be coming out in the next two, three weeks. And of course, uh, the highlight is always going into the summer break, the transfer committee. So Dave, Dan, Gags and I will reconvene um, very, very soon um, to come out with what will probably be a couple of part um, uh, transfer committee uh, because, you know, we, we definitely do feel that we, there's a lot of business to get done. Whether that will happen in reality is another matter, but let's wait and see. I really enjoyed the initial one of those, and I think anybody would who listened to it, because you've got lads there offering opinion, and there's expertise, and there's all sorts of good, tangible stuff to hang on to, and if Mo was doing money talks, well then you know you should be listening. And before we finish completely, let's go back to Dave and uh, get your last take on the game, the season, your final thoughts, wrap-ups. And do I know you think it's uh, always a given, but we get new listeners from time to time, so point them in the direction of what's available from you for the weeks and months to come. Cool. Um, okay, so uh, final thoughts on today. Just like I said earlier, it was it was one of those enjoyably dreadful games of football where there's goals and excitement, but it's largely just shit defending and poor midfield play. Uh, Lavia makes the mistake, but I think everybody saw after that what an impressive young player he is. And if he's one who arrives this summer, I'll be very happy. There's a couple of others there. I'd be happy to take Carlos Alcaraz. Really impressive today. He's been really good since joining them. I think he's one we could look at if we were looking for a cheap fourth midfielder to bring in. Um, there's a bunch as well, others as well. There's no point in getting into them. Um, 67 points in the league this season. Um, two years ago, it would have gotten you top four. In the 2021 season, we'd have gotten top four with that on goal difference. Uh, the season before, we'd have finished third with that. But in the other two seasons of the last four, it wouldn't have been good enough either. And it frankly wasn't good enough by any standard this season. <clears throat> this season, we conceded 47 goals in the Premier League. In 2021, when we had no centre-backs, we only conceded 42. In 18 and last season, we had the best defence in the Premier League. Last season, and 18-19, we had the best defence in Europe. And this season, we've fallen apart defensively. Part of that is the setup. Part of that is obviously Virgil's lack of form. Robbo had a really poor season. Trent had a really poor season. Ibu missed half the season. 
part of it is there's no cover at all in midfield, as we saw today. No cover at all in midfield for these defenders. They're having to do it all by themselves. This is something that needs to be addressed because Liverpool built a Premier League winning, Champions League winning team on the basis of having a great defence. And if Jurgen Klopp wants to have success, he needs to go back to that. And he needs to invest heavily in making our defence great again, whether that is, you know, a quality backup for Ibu, a replacement for Robbo, a replacement for Fabinho, whether it's moving to a different shape that maybe sees Trent stay in midfield and someone like Jurian Timber coming in at right back, whatever the case may be, that is something that needs to be prioritised this season. Uh, We scored more than enough goals this year. We scored 75. Only Arsenal and City scored more. Now, obviously, that is a drop-off for us, but it is still more than enough goals to have gotten top four. We finished on plus 28. Thankfully, we didn't finish on plus 30 this season because if we had, we would have become the first team in any of the big six leagues over the last 35 years, or it might be 33 years, to finish with plus 30 and not get top four barring a scenario where four other teams also got plus 30 or we had points taken away for match fixing, which obviously we didn't. Um, So I'm glad that my little um, cheat code of of just get plus 30 and you'll get top four still stands. We dropped points in 19 of 38 games this season, and that that really is completely unacceptable. It's not just the league form. We were out of both cups in the fourth round. We huffed and puffed through Europe, but we weren't really impressive at all. And the good teams we played, Napoli, Real Madrid, beat us handily. Napoli beat us 4-1 at their gaff. And yes, we did beat them at home, but they were already through and it didn't matter. Real Madrid came to Anfield and put five past us. We were abject all season across the board. And Mo is right, Alisson, and you said it as well. Trev Allison is by far the player of the year. Without him... I actually shudder to think where we would be. I, I think we would probably have been in and around mid-table, kind of 10th, 11th sort of region. Um, and, and Jürgen probably would be out of a job because even even these owners, I don't think, would have stood for that. Uh, in terms of point swings in the Premier League from last season to this season, uh, Chelsea had the worst with minus 30. Uh, we had the the second worst with minus 25. So while we've all laughed at Chelsea and said, oh, what a disastrous season, uh, they've only dropped off five points more than us. So our season is equally as bad as theirs. Equally as bad. Not getting top four with this collective of players. Mo Salah said it. Top four is the bare minimum requirement. The bare minimum requirement, this squad was easily good enough to go and finish second with one addition in midfield. With two, it could have gone and won the title. City win the title this year on 89 points. We finished with more than that in three of the previous four seasons. We have let ourselves down badly this season. Players, manager, ownership, etc., etc. Now, as I said earlier, there is a, a group of fans fairly sizable group of fans who, who for, for whom success is not a prerequisite. You know, they, they just fucking annoy it. Uh, just fucking enjoy it bunch. Um, I say annoy because it annoys the piss out of me. 
they, they just fucking enjoy it, lads. They don't really mind if we win or lose as long as they have fun. So maybe for them, they're happy enough to just drift through season after season of dreadful football with the chance that, you know, next season we might win something. But we're miles off the level of winning something. And Mo is right. United will spend this summer. They will. Newcastle are going to spend this summer. Arsenal are going to spend this summer. Now, I believe, I genuinely believe we're a better team than all three of them. I genuinely believe we're a better team than all three of them. If our best 11 played their best 11 10 times, I think we beat Newcastle 8 out of 10, United 9 out of 10, and Arsenal probably 6 or 7 out of 10. But that's not good enough because City are out there. And City have been a very convenient excuse for a lot of people. Oh, well, how can you compete with them? They cheat. Yes, they do. But the fact is, we did compete with them in 1819 and 1920. And the remnants of that team competed with them last year because while they were richer than us, we were smarter than them. We didn't spend 50 million on a Calvin Phillips, 50 million on a Benjamin Mendy, 100 million on a Jack Grealish or, you know, the, the litany of other players that they have bought who haven't really worked out but that get glossed over so everybody can say, isn't Pep just the best? Isn't he just the best? Your Henry Winters, your Martin Samuels, um, I hate to throw him in, but he's been loading them up lately for being so smart. Kieran Maguire from The Price of Football said that the likes of Darwin, that's not a, a signing City would have made. Fair enough. They were able to go and sign Erling Haaland because they spent, you know, they'll spend 300 million on him over the course of his contract. But, this idea that they're smarter and they never get anything right, anything wrong, just isn't true. And if we had had not even quite as good a season as last year in the league, just, you know, in and around, we would have been in and around for the title this year. And Mo mentioned Chelsea, and I, I look at them, and with Pochettino coming in, and I look at their squad, and I think if they get three players, they're going to be a big problem for everybody. If they get a goalkeeper, a ball winner and a goal scorer and shift out a lot of the kind of dregs and deadwood of the squad, they will be a serious, serious team under Pochettino. So this idea that we're just going to breeze back into top four and everything's going to be fine again next season, it just it's not based in reality. Spurs will be better next season as well. And Spurs might well have gotten top four this season if they hadn't sacked Antonio Conte. Remember, he got sacked as they sat in the top four. Now, he kind of got himself sacked. Um, but this idea that, you know, Jürgen's going to fix this and Jürgen will do this and Jürgen will do that, we, there's no guarantees of it at all. And as I said, from next season, he needs to, he needs to win back that support. He needs to win back being lauded and held up because he's he's let everybody down this season. This season, the failures of this season sit squarely on him, not on anybody else. Like Jordan Henderson's been an abomination this year. Jordan Henderson doesn't pick himself. Klopp does. James Milner can't play football anymore at this level. Milner doesn't put himself on off the bench in every single game. Klopp does. Harvey Elliott's not a midfielder. He's not picking himself. Klopp is picking him. 
Klopp is the one who refused to go and buy a midfielder last season. He's the one that decided not to buy a midfielder in January. That's on him. It's not on anybody else. If if Linders is overstepping boundaries, again, that's on Jürgen. If Kornmeier is causing havoc among the medical staff, that's on Jürgen. Because he has accumulated and consolidated power within this club. And now he needs to he needs to perform again. He needs to perform again. He cannot afford another season like this. Simple as that. And I would say from next season, it has to be a clean slate for everybody. But we need to hit the ground running next year. I don't have any delusions that we're going to win the league next year because we've got so much to do. But top four has to be the minimum requirement. The minimum requirement. And if we don't get it, or it looks like we're not going to get it, then a serious conversation needs to be had about Jürgen. He cannot have another season like this. And people will point at last season, and last season was was really good until the last couple of weeks when it wasn't really good. And we lost the league, and we lost the Champions League final. Frankly, I'm fucking sick of losing. Sick of losing finals. We lost two finals in his first first year we lost Champions League final then we lost Champions League final again last season that's four final defeats against three wins one league title out of three that we could have won like there's got to be a little bit more there you've built a team good enough to challenge there's a very clear way you could have improved that team and you refuse to you've got to be more ruthless you've got to be more aggressive next season and you've got to just say to certain players, you can't play anymore. But I don't have any expectation that he'll do that because I think he's too loyal. Um, two-footed pod every day, daily red every day. There'll be scouteds. I'm probably going to be in foul humour on a bunch of them during the week. So just just keep that in mind. And um, yeah, that's basically all I have. Yeah. <laughs> I look forward to the uh, phone humor podcast. You know what you said about not dwelling, Trev? Yeah. I live to dwell. I know you do, brother. I, I know live you do. to dwell. I know you misery, do. Misery is my wheelhouse. We, we, we've long established this when things were going absurdly well. Uh, it was always the Hendrick brand to discover the misery where joy was 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 present yeah. and, and and we 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 embrace that happily now it's all too easy at the moment unfortunately and i do just want to say to be fair uh i've it's it's been a struggle this season and I think a couple of our listeners will agree with this sentiment. For me, the, the the way that I've worked through it has been doing these shows and talking to you guys, uh, whether it's Dave or Mo or Harry or Jim or Carl, uh, and that panel with Guy in the background constantly uh, poking us with comments as well. Uh, it's been it's been the thing that has made it tolerable for me, and I hope that the show has helped a lot of people uh, get through it as well. I know the word catharsis is mentioned on a regular basis, and uh, it, it is our distinct privilege 
to provide that guy uh, to you guys and hopefully when we return for next season it'll be back to the far more usual programming of talking about good stuff and trying to wind young Hendrick up to find the darkness that's, within that's exactly what it'll be it'll be all of you fuckers been all happy and me just been miserable can I just say I forgot to mention this before just just before we, we you wrap up Trev uh, today is the last ever Nina Kauser show. I was going there. I was going oh, there. Oh, you were. Okay. Eight no. years, 343 appearance, uh, episodes. Uh, that's a that's a hell of a fucking run. 343 caps. Holy shit. That's remarkable. That is remarkable. And listen, if you have uh, been in any way affiliated to the Anfield Index uh, extended family, you'll be aware of Nina's show and you'll be aware of the joy that it's brought to a lot of people. Uh, and she's a, a fantastic person in terms of the upbeat and even when she's downbeat she's the upbeat nature of her personality uh, I'm tremendously fond of Nina and I hope that uh, she won't completely retire and occasionally grace the mic with her presence I know she's going behind the scenes mostly but uh, I for one will be always bugging her to come on to AIP and other places like that uh, so we can continue to hear her voice on a regular basis but credit to her for an absolutely remarkable run of shows and it is a big loss to the channel to see it go uh my thanks to dave hendrick my thanks to mo chatra my thanks to the extended crew of jim boardman and carl matchett and harry sethi my thanks to guy drinkle for a season of putting up with all of us going way too long like we have again as he's sitting there just can't wait to get away and get back to whatever he's supposed to be doing uh, i've been trev downey and this is raw and that was a weird season, but we'll put it in the box and we will return next campaign. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.